Hey, good morning, Lake City family. Good morning. We've had some fun already this morning, haven't we? But my first question for you is, how many of you have ever had a bad day? Anybody out there? Raise your hand if you've ever had a bad day. That's something we all have in common. Well, if that's true, you can probably relate to Alexander's terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. Have you ever seen this book? This has been entertaining children for decades and relating to adults as well. I'm going to read just some of it and uh, as we connect with Alexander here as he writes. Here's what he says. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running and I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. At breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car kit in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring in his breakfast cereal box, but in my breakfast cereal box, all I found was breakfast cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. At school, Mrs. Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16? <laughs> I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I'm going to Australia. When we picked up my dad at his office, he said I couldn't play with his copy machine, but I forgot. He also said, watch out for the books on his desk, and I was as careful as I could be, except for my elbow. He said, don't fool around with the phone, but I think I called Australia. My dad said, please don't pick him up anymore. It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate lima beans. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. <laughs> my bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. <laughs> How many of you have ever had a day something like that? We can relate to that, can't we? Bad days are not new, in fact. God's people have been facing bad days since a long time ago, just as we do now. David certainly faced them. King David, the author of 72 of the 150 Psalms, had bad days. And at one point in his life, after he was anointed the king of Israel, when King Saul pursued and persecuted him for a number of years, he had a series of bad days. And it was during that time of his life that he wrote Psalm 16, our passage that we're in today together, as we continue our series, Psalms, Songs of the Soul. Would you open your Bibles with me to Psalm 16 this morning, or turn on your apps, the verses will also be on the screen if you don't have a Bible handy. As David panned Psalm 16, he was indeed in isolation, on the run. He was surrounded by danger. He was surrounded by betrayal. And he was surrounded by death. 
And I want to acknowledge that we are surrounded by those things as well in this world. Dave and Julie Ayer and their family in Uganda, just for one, in medical missions in Uganda, Julie just shared, uh, are surrounded by death and disease every day. We have trials in our own lives and sufferings of various kinds all the time. Our own country right now is in a state of mourning yet again from a mass shooting that took place last Wednesday in Parkland, Florida, which you've likely heard about on the news. When a young man at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School killed 17 people and injured 14 more and terrified hundreds more. Why do all these things happen? Well, the Bible already tells us the reason. And that is sin. That is the reason all these things happen. Sin is the problem. And we can't fix evil. And we can't eradicate sin. There's only one thing that can, and the Bible gives us that answer too. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the only thing with the power to fix evil and eradicate sin. And that's what we have to bring to the world. Well, brothers and sisters, this passage today is going to help us put all of this into a glorifying context. But before we go any further, Galatians 6.10 tells us to add that as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And we have the opportunity right now to pray for Parkland, Florida and for those hurting. So let's just take a minute to bow together this morning and pray as a unified church body. Lord, we lift up our voices together, knowing that there's power in our prayers, knowing that there's people hurting, brothers and sisters and people who need the Lord. And I pray that you, the God of all peace and comfort and healing, would reach out and and touch these families in a special way, even right now, as they begin a long season of mourning and grief. I pray that your mercies will be new every day and every hour in their lives. Lord, I also pray for the the lights, the people sharing and living out the gospel among them there, which I know there are. I pray for your your word to be well received. Lord, and I pray that same prayer for us today as we face things in our lives that will be with us until you call us home. I pray that we'll come into this text with open hearts and that your spirit will do a great work in us today right now as we get into these things. In Jesus' name, amen. So with all of the tragedy that surrounds us and with all of the trials that we face on a daily basis of all kinds, how in the world can anyone ever find peace? How can we ever have joy in our lives? How can our souls be satisfied? And that's exactly what we're looking at today, how God satisfies your soul. In Psalm 16, David gives us the answer. He expresses that he has found the source of satisfaction. And as we go into the chapter today, we're going to find that answer developed by looking at four different directions in which we look at life. As we follow David's psalm. First direction that we look is the upward look. God satisfies your soul in the upward look. So let's get into the text now and try to meet David's thoughts and affections with him as he moves through Psalm 16. David begins with the upward look to God. He says in verses 1 and 2, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. 
And this is where Jesus taught us to begin too, as he gave us the Lord's Prayer. And he said, pray like this, start with a look to heaven, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And David does the same thing here in Psalm 16. He begins, preserve me, O God, no matter what life throws at me, in you I take refuge. And what's the reason or the basis for that? It's because you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. And this is where we begin to find the satisfying of our souls. We begin with God as our refuge. And whenever we are a refugee, whenever we are unsettled in life in any way, in any way, this is where we begin with the upward look. Go right to God first. But where do we most often look first instead of up? In every other direction, in any other direction. We'll try to find it within ourselves. We'll look for pleasures. We'll look for comforts, functional idols, every other direction. The Bible says, let's be real and be honest. The Bible says this is exactly how humans are wired. This is what we're prone to do. We just sang this morning, we are prone to wander. That's right, we're prone to wander. Humans are prone to worship the creation rather than the creator. That's what we naturally are prone to do. But all of that ends when we decide, I will turn to God first. I will do that. I will turn to God first. I will exalt that he, God, has sovereign control over my life. And that's not just a good thing. I have no good other than you, apart from you. So that's the first direction towards satisfying of your soul is to look up to God first. Now the psalm speaks to the rest of the directions too as it builds up to a crescendo about how God satisfies our souls. Now next David takes our attention to the outward look. The outward look. God satisfies your soul in the outward look. After looking up first, David, now still with placing value on God, now looks out at people. And he sees two kinds of people, saints and sinners. Saints, he looks at in verse 3 and then sinners in verse 4. Let's look at these verses. Verse 3, as for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. God satisfies your soul with people. When it comes to people, David says, the ones who give him pleasure are the godly people, the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. David doesn't mean that he he delights in people more than God, and he doesn't mean that he hates other people. He means that he does not delight, he's not satisfied by the godless ways of godless people. Rather, he finds his delight in the godly ways of godly people, those people who treasure God and lead him to greater things in God, closer to God. This is the sweetness of Christian relationships. I still remember years ago when I was a young man, when when it first dawned on me, hey, I actually like hanging around other Christians. I actually enjoy hanging around people who want to talk about God, who want to get into God's word together and learn and share what we're learning and growing together in God's word. I actually find it awesome to be in a home where people are singing hymns and songs together. And praying with each other before we leave. And Sarah and I have tried to lead our household to be the exact same. 
We really enjoy Christian community. And now outside of our household, we need to get into this community in our church as well. Everyone. And there are many options here at Lake City, from small groups to all the ministries to man camp next month. Get into this Christian community. See, if we gather on Sunday and don't prompt each other to get together and have relationships in a community, a church family from Monday to Saturday, then we've missed a major part of God's satisfying of our souls. We've missed a major part of the essence of what Christianity is. So as David is developing this answer, how God satisfies our souls, we come to verse 4, and in verse 4, David confronts the thing that destroys the satisfying of our souls. Sin. The godless ways of sinners. In verse 4, he writes, The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their name on my lips. What do sinners do here? They eagerly run after false gods. They literally, that word is exchange. They exchange God for unholy pursuits of every self-gratifying kind. David's phrase, their drink offerings of blood, referred to the unmentionable acts that were celebrated at that time by the cultures he was among. Things like glorifying war and violence, infanticide and debauchery of every kind. Things that are increasingly popular in our own country. And not without results. Right? For us Christians, it may be a million other things that we put in place of God in our lives. Materialism, having things, pleasures, our career pursuits and toys, ungodly relationships, whatever the case may be. Whatever the case... David says it is sheer folly to turn from the all-satisfying God only to embrace other gods that will only multiply your sorrows in the end. No, David says, I will never do that. I won't even put their names on my lips. Which is a poetic way of saying, I won't have anything to do with those godless ways that entice me. So God satisfies our souls when we look up at him first. And he satisfies in the outward look through the fellowship and the ministry of fellow believers. Let's progress now with David to the third direction that we look to find God's satisfaction. And that is that God satisfies our souls in the inward look. The inward look. David's now going to look at himself. And we all like to do that. Ourselves are our favorite subject. And we can admit that we're being real. We like hearing about our, ourselves and thinking about ourselves. And that's fine. That's great. Well, what I hope that we will all realize today is that only God fully satisfies the desires that you have within yourself. They're different for all of us. And only God satisfies our inward desires. But we do tend to try everything else first, don't we? It's a journey. You can look at virtually any survey done from Americans about what's most important in life. What do, they, what do they value the most? What do we value the most in life? And across the board, at the top, at the very top, are issues centered on our personal happiness. All right, in one survey, 80% of, of young people, 80% of young people said that in, in their top three uh, most important values in life was to be rich, to be wealthy. And more than 50% rated to be famous is one of their top three. 
Now, that just pictures the fact that our human nature, our human default is to think that the source of everlasting happiness comes from being rich or powerful, secure, comes from being popular or comfortable, those kind of things, famous. When time after time after time, it's proven that when you pursue those things as the highest good, your sorrows multiply. Only God fully satisfies our soul. So how does God actually satisfy our own personal desires? Okay, we want all these things. How does God satisfy those? That's where David goes next. And in the next four verses, he examines four areas of desires that we all have. Verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. He goes through these four. First, David desires provisions. And he finds that God satisfies our desire for provisions. Verse 5 says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. And you might want to underline that word chosen. The Lord is the portion that I choose. What does that mean? In other words, if there are a hundred attractive portions on the table and God is one of them, he is the one that I'm going to choose. I choose God. He is my greatest good and he will be my highest treasure. Nothing satisfies the way he does. He says, you hold my lot. That means whatever happens to you comes from the hand of God. The circumstances in your life, whether today in this room or at the grocery store later today, God rules over it all. He's in sovereign control. And David says, I don't just affirm that control. I exalt in it that God's got this. I don't ignore God. I embrace him. I choose him. He is my chosen portion. Remember that. In verse 6, though, God satisfies our desire for possessions now, David talks about. Because God holds his lot, David says in verse 6, he says, The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The lines here, what does that mean? Let me be clear. The lines... It's, it's a measure of possessions, primarily land, boundary lines, those kind of things that I own, that I possess, but not only land, that measures possessions. Now, when David was on the run from Saul for these years, here's the interesting thing you got to know. For those years that he was on the run from Saul, he had no possessions. He had no land. He had nothing. He was on the run. And yet, he writes this, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. And that was his point. Because all the possessions he needs are God alone. It is in itself a more beautiful inheritance, he says, than having all of the world's riches and no God. To have God. ESPN, the sports channel, ran a documentary called Broke not too long ago. The documentary was about athletes who at one time were millionaires, but found themselves absolutely broke. Some of these guys had literally made hundreds of millions of dollars. But they blew it all on houses, cars, and expensive lifestyle. And they lived as if these things, these possessions, were their treasures. And when they lost all of it, they didn't know what to do. Their portions were gone. And then there's this guy, the Apostle Paul, who in Philippians writes that he's learned to be content, whether rich or poor. 
Either one. Do you want to know the secret to that? He tells us. He knew that all he really needed was Christ. All he wanted was Christ. He was willing to throw everything else away that he might have Christ. And that was enough. That was all the possessions that we need to be fully satisfied. That's the the power of God. And it's time to do a heart check, everyone, on how much of our hearts we give to our possessions, the things that we have, our own safety and security. God is not only our refuge and our sovereign Lord and our greatest treasure. David goes on to say that God satisfies our desire for counsel. God is our counselor as well. Let's look at verse 7. He says, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. God provides the wisdom that we need. Now, I want you to understand that this is not just a nice add-on. Oh, yeah, wisdom too. That's nice. No, it's the counsel of God that brings color to all of the rest of what we're talking about. Refuge and satisfaction and treasure and, and full satisfaction from God are not automatic. You don't just automatically get those. They are interactive with God. If we are ever in harm's way or in folly, God gives us counsel to know how to escape. But that doesn't come just automatically. That's only as you're abiding in Christ. That's only as you're dwelling with him, dwelling in his word, and dwelling in the counsel of mature believers. So I want to ask you, whatever you're facing right now in your life, are you dwelling in the counsel of mature believers? Are you in his word? Lots of times throughout the day. Are you listening to God? He gives you counsel. You become wise. That leads to the satisfying of our souls. And finally, God satisfies our desires for confidence. Confidence. For seven verses now, David has exalted God for what he is for him. He's refuge and a sovereign Lord, treasure, counselor. And now we see its effect. In verse 8, David writes, I have set the Lord always before me. Always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. I will not be shaken. Confidence. Assurance. Boldness. Stability. Overcoming fear. Walking strong in the spirit of God. We read about the apostles who had this. They were amazing, confident people through their trust in God and through the Holy Spirit's power. And we know people and admire people in our own lives today that have this through their trust in God and the power of the Holy Spirit, so confident and strong. We can all have it too, brothers and sisters, by setting the Lord always before me. How do you and your family your small group, and our church family. How do we become unshakable? Setting the Lord always before us. Teaching the Bible. Integrate the Bible. Sing the Bible. Memorize the Bible. Live the Bible. Stand on the Bible's authority. Give church priority. Obey the mission that Jesus gave us to make disciples. Setting the Lord always before us. It's God as our sovereign Lord. We will not be shaken. That's a good way to be. 
And though I still have far to go, I stand before you as one who's grown a lot in this. Confidence in the Lord. Which is way better than just confidence in yourself anyway. And how have I grown in that over the years? A few ways. One is by accepting fully the forgiveness that God has given me through the shed blood of Jesus Christ for all of my past. That's an important place to start. Accept that forgiveness fully. And all the stupid things I'm going to do in the future as well. Those are all covered. That's the first part. But I'm grasping this too. And I'm grasping to turn to God quickly. In all the matters of my life. All the confusions and the conflicts and the doubts. And every moment. And the trials and the sufferings and the pain. Go to God first. And begin this relationship with him. You will not be shaken. Now in verse 9, David comes to the climactic look, which is the forward look. God satisfies your soul in the forward look. And the forward look builds on all these other looks in the final three verses, verses 9 through 11. And it is initiated by the word, therefore. All that David has described of God thus far leads us to a therefore. And it is a therefore Of great joy. Let's look at verse 9. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. Calling out to God to preserve us, which David did at the beginning of 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 the psalm, leads to exaltation in God as our refuge and treasure and sovereign Lord and counselor, which leads to an unshakable confidence in him, which leads us to a deep and pervasive joy and the satisfying of our souls. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. Remember where David was in his life when he wrote this? He cried out, Trusted God, and he's completely overwhelmed with joy. Now David continues the therefore in verse 10 with an interesting connection to something that he didn't fully understand yet. That's the resurrection. The resurrection of both his own body and that of the Messiah who would walk the earth a thousand years after he wrote this psalm as the man Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah. He writes in verse 10, This to the Lord, he says, For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol. You will not send me to hell. Or let your Holy One see corruption. Now many of the Psalms are messianic, prophetic. They talk about the coming Messiah who is Jesus. In the New Testament book of Acts, both Peter and Paul quote this verse and this passage right here in relation to Jesus' resurrection as they're teaching the importance and the power of Jesus' resurrection. In David's mind, as he was writing this, these words were exalting God for the hope that he had of everlasting life and everlasting glory that God shares with us, all based on the power of the coming Messiah's resurrection. Now, we're on the other side of the cross, and we're basing our entire hope and faith and life in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and in the grave and in the resurrection. And we celebrate the resurrection every time we come to meet on Sundays. That's why God's people worship on Sundays now, because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. Saturday night counts too. It's okay. (laughs) But in a few weeks, we're going to have our biggest celebration of the resurrection of the year. And what do we call that now? 
Easter Sunday, and that's coming up soon. And we make a big deal of that here, and we need to. We pray a lot. We get ready to reach out to our neighbors and family and friends. And I want to encourage you to prepare your hearts and your lives for that. Uh, because that's the time of year when the whole world is most interested or intrigued by and open to the Christian faith, the life-saving and life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's coming not too far. That's the resurrection. David is setting, looking forward in the satisfying of our souls. He's setting into the context of our eternal hope. But now he concludes with the climax of the therefore in verse 11, the last verse of the chapter of the psalm. He says, the climax, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Where is fullness of joy? In God's presence, fullness of joy. Where are pleasures forevermore? In God's hand. Because God has been David's portion, his chosen portion here in, his, in this life, his safest refuge and his supreme treasure and his sovereign Lord and his trusted counselor, his eyes have been opened to the path of life itself. This is the fullness of God's satisfying of our souls. And this will beat down anything that tries to overcome that in your life. Whether death or sadness, sorrow, fear, unrest, shame, guilt, sickness and pain, stress, enemies, your past. This beats down anything that tries to overcome that and steal God's satisfying of your soul from you. If God is my God. And nothing will keep me from the fullness of joy in God's presence, the eternal pleasures at his hand. So this psalm starts with someone who is unsettled, someone seeking refuge. And that's many of us today. And if it's not, we probably live in the fear that it will be soon. Starts with someone unsettled, seeking refuge, and concludes with that same person Fully satisfied by God. And that can be all of us. A person who has this great satisfying of your soul will look up to God first. Will look out and look in and look forward as God tells us to. This person must be saved first. And that takes repentance of your sin and self-sufficiency and the, and the good works and the bad things and all those things. And giving over of yourselves to Jesus Christ as your Lord. And you can do that through your prayer right now. He's done all the work. He saves you by his grace alone, through your faith alone. And then it takes to be in fellowship with God. And I need to be that kind of person, and you need to be that kind of person. And it takes total commitment and complete effort. Jesus is our Lord. Here are some next steps to help guide you if you're wondering, well, what can I do right now? And what I've done is just put it in the context of the things we've seen God to be. And this is a commitment I want to encourage everybody here to say today. I will exalt in, not just believe, not just think is cool. I will exalt in and follow God as my safest refuge. 
I want to encourage everybody here to go to God first. No matter what, just pray to God no matter what it is. All, all throughout the day, many times a day. How many times can you go into a mighty fortress that's been given to you? Whenever you want. And that's what God says. Come to me all the time. We can't keep trying to do this on ourselves, everything. Now just come to God first as your safest refuge. Next, I will exalt in and follow God as my supreme treasure. And this is a decision that you can make to choose God as your portion. Decide today that you will stop valuing every other attractive thing for your time and your attention and your affections over God. Choose that God will be your ultimate treasure. And then all the other things that you want to do that are good will be even better. This means, though, that you may have to stop going to certain places or doing certain things or looking at certain things or having a certain kind of relationship with people. That's fine. Make God your supreme treasure. And then will come the satisfying of your souls. Next, I will exalt in and follow God as my sovereign Lord. Again, this is where that confidence comes from. With God as the sovereign Lord of your life, you're in good hands. You're in good hands. But we need to remind ourselves of that every day. We wake up selfish sinners and foolish people every day uh, anew. So this is a daily thing of saying to God, preaching yourself the gospel every day. I like, I like how they say that. Preach yourself the gospel every day. This is what I was. This is what I am. This is my identity in Jesus now. Bang. God is the Lord of your life. And finally, I will exalt in and follow God as my source of ultimate satisfying joy. God has given us the path of life. He's given us the way to find full joy and full satisfaction. What are you going to do with it? Do you know him? Have you trusted Jesus as your savior and been given this new life? If you would like to today... Like I said, you can do that in your heart right now, asking for his forgiveness and, and the new life that he promises. If you need to talk to somebody, you can write that on the communication card. You'd like to talk to a spiritual guide about that. There's nothing that would thrill us more. You can come pray with a prayer team right after the service right now, in fact. Everyone else, maybe today is the day to recommit your life to Christ, to make him a priority, the priority. And all these other things will be added unto you. May God bless our church as well. Let's pray. Lord God, we have entered your throne. We have joined hearts and relationships together today. We have sought truth and peace and comfort and encouragement. And you've granted us the path of life. Lord, we thank you for the richness of your of your entire word. We thank you especially for our journey in Psalm 16 this week. I pray that it will have a lasting effect for everybody here and that the ripples would carry out across the nations from our neighbors to the ends of the earth as we share your love and what you've done for us. Lord, we're going to sing now in rejoicing of who we are in Christ and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.